0: Okay this morning we are going to continue in our Proverbs series Um, and Proverbs is effectively knowledge properly applied right Uh, and that's our sorry that's wisdom and and that's what Proverbs is about it's one of the wisdom books in in the Bible Um, Steve spent the first week talking about wisdom and he uh, he neglected one of the best dad jokes about wisdom Uh, and so in honor of my kids this morning and trying to do the best that I can to embarrass them which is the uh, the duty of all fathers, um, I will tell a bad dad, dad joke, uh, which is uh, the fact that knowledge is understanding that tomatoes are fruits, but wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. Good courtesy laughter. Thank you. All right. So. <laughs> Uh, the second week, uh, after, after Steve told us a little bit about what wisdom is, and he began to explore the fact that um, wisdom, all wisdom, comes from the beginning of the fear of the Lord. Uh, that's where the beginning of knowledge comes from. The next week, Bill taught us how to grow in wisdom, and primarily that was by surrendering to him and what his word says. Christian then uh, spent a week on parenthood, uh, which was clearly... M- Totally enough for all of us as we all became excellent parents after just one sermon Um, But hopefully at least it began to scratch the surface for us Uh, Just as Christian gave that disclaimer in the beginning of his message I'm also going to give a disclaimer. I am not uh, the corner market on wisdom I have made many 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 foolish decisions in my life and continue to do so Uh, so know that this is not coming from a place of strength um, but coming from a place of humility and trying together to struggle through and learn what it means to have wisdom and to walk in wisdom. But Proverbs effectively is a book about wisdom. It's, uh, it's basically the accumulated knowledge of how to live well in God's world. Um, the idea is that generally this is a moral logic. It's a formula of generalities, a probability of how to live your life. So, the probability kind of goes like this. It's if you seek wisdom and you fear the Lord or you stand in awe of Him, then that will generally lead to success and peace. Uh, Because you will be having a life of integrity, you'll have a life of virtue and generosity. And if you seek folly and evil, then generally that's going to lead to a life of selfishness and pride, and that will generally lead to ruin and shame as we go from room to room. All right. Um, So, That's the the basic formula of that. Now, obviously, we know that that's a general rule, right? Uh, We know that there's far more exceptions in our lives uh, than there are in terms of of, uh, things always going right. We see the wicked prosper. But that's what other books in the Bible deal with. That's what the other wisdom literature deals with. So the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes deal with those exceptions. Here in Proverbs, we're looking at generality. So if I generally follow this, my life will most likely go well. So part of that is understanding how to make wise decisions. I mean, that's really what wisdom is all about, isn't it? It's trying to make decisions and trying to walk through the world and understand a little bit about how to do it the right way. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today is understanding wise decisions and how to make good plans, specifically how to make them and determine if they're in God's will. Spoiler alert, they are both good and bad. Um, I'll let that marinate for just a minute. <laughs> but. In order to figure out how that's possible, we're going to end up having to touch on a really big biblical concept, which is really hard to cram into the limited amount of time before your waiters and waitresses begin coming around and take your (laughs) orders. Um, So we're going to touch on this paradox that is all through the Bible, and that's the responsibility of man versus the sovereignty of God. And that's a really hard concept that we're going to deal with. So I'm going to do my best to just touch on it. Please know that we're not going to exhaust it. And please know that you're going to spend the rest of your life struggling with this concept of the responsibility of man versus the sovereignty of God. So here's, here it goes. I mean, we have all kinds of decisions to make, right? We have who do I marry? What job do I take? Um, what, you know, how much should I spend on something? Should I buy a new car? Should I buy a used car? Should I wait and wait for somebody to give me a car like Mikey? Um, you know, all of these things, what, what do I do? How do I, how, do I, how do I make these decisions? And many of the choices that we face are not, uh, they're not moral decisions, right? They're not something that is clearly laid out in God's law as to what is right and what is wrong. We often deal with what is right and what is left. Right? Should I take a, a left on elm or a right on elm? Okay, so these are, these are questions that aren't always about clearly being spelled out in God's Word. We know that, you know, if we're faced with something, a temptation like a, a, adultery or a temptation like stealing or lying, we know clearly what the right decision is on that because God's Word elucidates that. He makes it super clear. Like, don't do that, okay? Obviously. But the, the other questions become a lot more nuanced and they're a lot harder to do, and that's about wisdom, and that's understanding how to, to move through. So the question is, how does God guide us with these, With and, and what is our role? See, guidance is not pri- primarily something that God does. He doesn't primarily whisper to you as you're going over the bridge, take a left on Elm, right? That's not normally what happens. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't, because there are definitely times where we do and can get real clear words about what to do, who to talk to. You know, whether you're in a grocery store and suddenly the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, you need to go speak to that person. But most of the time, most of the time, it is about trying to make wise decisions and and follow his general guidance that he does. So most of the time, God does guidance, not gives guidance. And let me explain a little bit about what that looks like. Um, A horse and his boy is one of my favorite stories. It's part of the Chronicle of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, and if you haven't read it, I'm not gonna recap the whole thing for you right now, don't worry, Um, but part of one of the scenes in there is when the boy is is walking along and, and he's in the dense fog and he's thinking about what an unlucky boy he must be because he begins recounting all the tragedies in his life and all the times that lions have chased him, literally, uh, and, and began driving him to different directions and all the things that have happened and the way that he lost his parents and the way that certain things have happened through his life. And then all of a sudden, as he's walking through this dense fog, he becomes aware of something next to him. It's a presence and it's big and he knows it. And he begins walking in silence because He begins to be aware of how big this presence is. He hears the breathing. So he continues walking in silence, sort of paralyzed by fear, wondering what to do. And finally, he musters up enough courage to say, who's there? It comes out as a whisper. And a voice comes back, and it says, one who has waited a long time for you to ask that. And the voice begins to explain to him... Asking him questions about what happened in his life. And the boy begins recounting all of these unlucky events in his life. And all these tragedies that have happened. And after a time, the voice begins to answer him. And he says, I was the one. I was the one who made you take this path. I was the one who chased you in the wilderness. I was the one who began... Uh, your life in this way and who began making all these these decisions to you and later on the fog clears and in the story later on he's walking back along that same path and the fog clears and he realizes that the voice was always on one side or the other of him and as he walked back on that path he realized it was through a high mountain pass and there were cliffs on both sides and the voice was always on the outside of him keeping him from straying off of the path and falling over the cliff and he realizes that the voice who, if you haven't read the series by now, uh, or if you haven't guessed by now, is Aslan, which was the Christ figure in the the books. Um, The voice is the one who drove him through all of these things that worked together in order to get him to exactly where he needed to be in order to be able to do the purposes uh, and save the kingdom. Um, So all of these things, this was guidance that happened through the whole way, and although the boy, from his perspective at that time, thought that they were tragedies and thought that he was just unlucky, it was really... God guiding him the entire way, and that's what I mean when I say God. This is, guidance is primarily something God does. It's something that, as we begin taking steps, He begins guiding our path and changing our course through events and decisions that He puts in front of us. Okay, so let's let's get into a little bit of scripture with this. Uh, we're going to start with Proverbs twenty-one five, and I'm going to jump all over the place. so If you're trying to fo- follow me, good luck. Um, but I'm going to go quickly through it. But Proverbs twenty-one five. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. Now, this one, this one shouldn't be a big shocker to you. This one is, is primarily how most of us live our lives, and it makes sense. It basically says, live strategically, plan, work hard, and things will go well for you. And we all like that, right? That sounds, that sounds pretty good. That's like the American way. All right, let's, let's do it and work hard and put our nose to the grindstone and, and things will work. The next one says, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, if you consider this one, this is a little bit different. This is, uh, lot casting is something that we don't do that often anymore, but it's effectively like flipping a coin, right? It's, uh, it's, it's literally either drawing straws or flipping a coin or doing some kind of binary yes or no answer. And the, the idea is that, okay, every coin toss, every detail comes from the Lord. So, the answer of the outcome of every lot casting is from the Lord. Now, this is kind of a, a, a crazy topic, and, and now all of a sudden we're like, well, wait a minute, every coin toss is from the Lord and it's determined by the Lord? That seems strange. Now, quick little side tangent here. Lot casting um, is, is something that a lot of us would kind of like be into, right? I mean, it's kind of like, well, so wait a minute, if I can get the answer from the Lord just by flipping a coin. This sounds fantastic. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Should I, should I meet a two-mile, or should I go buy a new building? Flip a coin? Oh, there we go. <laughs> there's, there's our answer. And the funny thing is, in the scriptures, we see lot casting all through the Old Testament. By the way, we, we did, and it came up heads. That's why we're here. No, I'm <laughs> just, just, just kidding. <laughs> um, but lot casting is all through the Old Testament. In fact, in the, uh, the high, priest, uh, high, priest, no, high priest robes, uh, there was actually a, uh, a device that was effectively like casting lots. Um, I call it the Uma Thurman, um, but it was actually the U- Uman and Thurman, or something like that. It was—it's a, a Hebrew term that I can't pronounce. Um, so, uh, it, but it basically was a, like a binary yes or no answer, and, and God would, would uh, devise whether or not it was uh, it was right or wrong. So this you see lot casting through the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament we see it the last time that we see lot casting. Uh, is in Acts, in Acts 1 um, and that's when the disciples have to pick a new disciple to replace Judas the betrayer and so they cast lots and Matthias is is chosen Um, but that's the last time we see it and you have to sort of scratch your head and say now wait a minute where did it go what happened well what happens in Acts 2 anybody remember that's right Pentecost the Holy Spirit comes and so the Holy Spirit comes now here's a great illustration that I heard concerning this And and, and it's basically, if a six-year-old wants to go outside and play, they'll go to their father or their mother and they'll say, hey, can I go outside and play? And the mother and father will say yes or no, based on whatever the situation is. If a 40-year-old calls up his mother or father and says, hey, you know, the guys are going down fishing and I just kind of wanted to know if I should go. Well, if you're a parent at that point, you're probably wondering what you did wrong. Because when you're 40, you should be able to make that decision. Well, you see, that's kind of how God is in the idea that he wants us to grow in our relationship with him, right? He wants us to understand that it's not just a, a quick yes or no answer. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him to the point that we begin to understand what his heart is and begin choosing the things that are in his heart and that we delight in those choices because we delight in pleasing the one that we want to know. My wife loves it when I can anticipate her needs and her desires. It's very rare that I succeed, but she loves it when that happens because she feels cared for and known. See, we study the ones that we love. We study the ones that we we want to please, and we want to try to make them happy, so we do things to make them happy. And that's really what decision-making in the Lord is about. As we have the Holy Spirit in us, we begin to learn who God is, and we begin to learn how to make Him happy we begin to learn how to delight in him. And there's nothing greater than being able to give somebody that you love a gift, is there? So giving a gift to God is giving our obedience and our our commitment to him. Okay, so the plans of the diligent lead to abundance, but every lot that is cast is from the Lord. So we're left with this paradox going. We think that either our choices matter that they're significant in history, um, and, and they're significant in determining our future completely, or we think that everything is fixed by fate, and, and then who cares what you do, right? But the Bible says no. The Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says that in fact we are fully free and we are fully determined. We're fully responsible for our decisions, And yet, God is fully sovereign over those decisions and the outcomes. This is a really hard paradox to hold. So let's look at a couple examples of how this looks practically. Um, Proverbs 16, 9 says, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Right? I prayed that in the beginning. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. All right, hold that, and let's talk about Acts 27. Acts 27 uh, is when Paul, uh, this is a story of Paul, as he's a prisoner, he's been arrested, uh, and he has appealed to Caesar. So as a result, they have to transport him uh, to Rome, uh, and that passage is taking place along a ship, or or on a ship. Uh, So they leave Crete. Uh, Paul warns them, he says, listen, this is a bad idea, we shouldn't go right now, we're, we're late in the season, uh, the storms will be coming, and I sense that there will be great peril and loss as a result of this. Uh, so he warns them not to go, uh, but they go anyway. Does this sound familiar to anybody so far? You get a warning from someone who's wise and talks to God, and yet you go anyway. Uh, but at any rate, they, they go anyway, um, and they begin going, and of course, they, they're they're. Uh, they're beset by a storm, uh, so the storm comes rushing down over the hills, hits the, the vessel, and, and the vessel is caught in, in massive waves and, and winds that, uh, that disallow it from going to shore. So th- although they're trying to go along the shore, the wind comes from the shore and, and the ship can't turn and go up in towards the shore to take shelter. It's simply forced to turn away from the wind and be driven before it. So for many days this storm rages on and, and the men become fearful. They begin throwing cargo over. Uh, they begin lightening the ship. Uh, at, they have to secure the ship's boat. And so they bring the, the, the boat up and, and then they begin wrapping cables around the ship just to keep it from breaking up, to keep it from breaking apart because these waves are coming and just pounding it. Uh, so, days this goes on. The men are at this point giving up all hope of living. Uh, the sailors are are pretty convinced that everyone is going to die the soldiers that are on board are convinced that everyone's gonna die the prisoners on board are convinced that everyone's gonna die with the exception of one which prisoner do you think that was? it was Paul Paul who began praying and was told by the Lord that not one would perish not one on the ship would perish the ship would be lost, but not one life would be lost. That's what Paul was told. So he goes up and he tells the men this, understanding that a prophet in those days, anyone who claims to have heard from the Lord, uh, if they are proven to be false, they are risking their life. They'll be killed. So he knows this, but he still goes ahead and and goes up and uh, and and shares this information with everyone. So they uh, they, they 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 I guess. Some of them maybe believe it, some of them take courage, hopefully. They put out some anchors because in the meantime, the sailors who are taking depth soundings find that the, shore, the, uh, the water is getting less and less deep and they think that they might run aground in the night on either some unseen island or some hidden shoals. Uh, so they begin throwing out anchors from the stern to keep the, the boat from, uh, from drifting further. Then during the night, the, uh, the, the sailors decide that it, they need to make an escape. Uh, that they want to get off this boat um, and and they don't have any hope that it's going to survive so they begin uh, Getting into the little boat and telling everybody that hey, we're just going to set another anchor over here uh, But really their intention was to escape now Paul through the spirit was told that and he then directs the soldiers on board And he says this he says that unless these sailors stay on board all will be lost Unless these sailors stay on board all will be lost now this was, if those of you who are tracking understand that this was in fact the beginning of the Army-Navy rivalry, um, but <laughs> no, but in, in reality what this this was, this should, this should make you say, wait a minute, I thought that the Lord just had said that not one will be lost. Why the two orders, right? Why the two orders? Just like a few good men, why the two orders? All right, if, if you know that nothing is going to be lost, why does it matter what you do? And yet Paul clearly s- thinks that it does matter. Now, not to leave you hanging, but they, they did end up uh, driving the ship onto a, uh, uh, an island. Uh, it wrecks on a reef just off of it. And the ship is broken apart. And what do you think happened to all the people? They lived. Of course they did. Why? Because God said that's what was going to happen, right? So God's promise did come true. All right. But it didn't matter the way that, that Paul was acting. So again, here we see it. If you believe that everything is completely determined, right, like a fatalist would, um, or someone who, who thinks that the, the fates just set everything, then why would it matter what you do? But Paul clearly shows that that's not true, right? Paul clearly acts in both ways. So consider that. Um, if, if we live our lives that way, like everything is determined and nothing that we do matters, then that's, that's how we, hear, we, we see a lot of Christians come to the point of saying, well, what does it matter if I pray for somebody? God's either going to heal him or he he isn't. It doesn't matter what I pray, but yet we're clearly commanded in the Word to pray for people. So again, we see this paradox. Responsibility of man, sovereignty of God. The tension is constantly there. If you believe, as most Americans do, that your future is not written and that we are free to decide for ourselves and every decision that you make will help determine that outcome, then quite frankly, if you're happy about that, you're not thinking deeply enough you should be paralyzed if every morning that you wake up every decision that you make will determine the outcome of your life that should freeze you either that or you're totally deluded into thinking that you know what's best listen consider this when you were six years old or nine years old what was your track record for thinking of the things that you wanted were the right things looking back what was your track record 50%? 50%? Hmm, let's be generous. <laughs> Maybe 60. What gives you the idea that now, just because you have a few years, you know that much more about what is right? I know for myself, I would have eaten all kinds of, you know, ice cream, candy, cookies, etc., for pretty much every meal as a six-year-old. But that wouldn't have turned out real well. Well, now, I just know that certain things are the right way. Do I? My track record now might be, if I'm being generous, 40%, the things that I think are right. But the Lord knows 100%, right? So if you realize that, in fact, it's 100% both. It's 100% that you're free to make the decisions, and, and, and yet it's 100% that God is sovereign over those decisions. Then you become completely free. You have the freedom to make a mistake. You have the freedom to, make, to walk forward and be calm, like Paul was during this storm, and be calm and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward. Here's what we need to do. Because you know that in the end, the outcome is determined by God, and he'll use your mistakes, he'll use your failures, he'll use your unwise decisions to begin to teach you and to begin to bring about those outcomes that, you, that he wants to happen. Is this making any sense? <laughs> All right, let me tell you two quick stories. Um, one is, uh, is a, a guy, I met a man by the name of Dave Cuthbert, uh, who was a very impressive guy, uh, although incredibly humble about it. He, uh, he had graduated from the Naval Academy uh, and gone on to serve in the Special Forces. Uh, he then left the Special Forces and be, went into business, became an incredibly successful businessman. Uh, this guy was, uh, was very impressive. <laughs> Then received God's calling on his life, uh, and and realized that God wanted him to go in a different direction, and he began uh, working with a, uh, a non-profit organization called Wine to Water, and and they go all around the world and bring fresh water to people that that don't need it. I'm uh, sorry, that do need it. That don't need. It. Everybody needs fresh water. Yeah, everyone except us needs fresh water. Anyway, um, so <laughs> he he. Uh, Bottom line is this guy was, was, was really nice and, and really incredible. Uh, after he finished uh, lunch with me, or we, we were having lunch, and he finished a story about uh, his life and how he had gotten to where he was, I was feeling, um, let's just say, less than significant, right? I was feeling like my life was pretty darn ordinary. Uh, but he asked me about it anyway, uh, and so I began to relate to him one of the stories of my life. Uh, And and one of the things that happened to me was when I was uh, 18 years old, I I was graduating from uh, high school, as uh, most 18-year-olds do, uh, and I had just enough wisdom to realize that I wasn't quite ready for college. Uh, Although I'd been accepted, I realized that I was pretty immature, and I really wasn't totally ready for it. So, realizing that, I I went down to the Marine recruiter office and signed up for the Marines. when the Marines began the background check into me, they, they looked into my medical history and found something from seventh grade, from seventh grade where I had a, kind of an obscure thing, um, and they used that to preclude me from joining the Marines, and they rejected me. I was re- totally rejected. Uh, not even, a, not even a, another exam or anything, even though I was not affected by this thing from seventh grade at all. And you know, Dave, uh, the guy I was having lunch with, uh, said, wow, that is incredible. I've never heard of anything like that happening. Somebody coming and saying, I want to join the armed forces, and then disqualifying you based on something obscure like that. And I said, yeah, it really was weird. I guess God had another plan for me. And at this point, Dave said something that really struck me. It's something that I guess I knew in my head, but until that moment had never been really clarified. He looked at me and he said, yeah, he did have another plan for your life. This one. And it struck me, and I realized, yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. You're living in God's plan for you right now. See, that's how God works. God doesn't primarily give guidance. He does guidance, right? We are in the current of his will. If you, if you picture a river with a strong current going, you're in his will. Whether you're fighting against it or you're, or you're just floating along and, and, and with it, you're in his will right now. He is causing all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Right, he's working all things out, and you can't plan the ends without planning the means. So that's how he guides us. It's not the same um, as as uh, as we think it should be sometimes, right? Uh, and don't get me wrong; we can definitely make unwise decisions in that process. But see, he allows the unwise decisions and the consequences of those unwise decisions only to the point. That it disciplines you, that it causes you to learn who He is, that it causes you to come back to Him. So even if we make really grievous errors and we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're still in God's will. So we can be grieving God, but He's still allowing, he's, we're still completely in His will. This is a, a, a weird concept. And, and again, if you want more biblical context to this, look at the story of David and Bathsheba, where he. Sinned absolutely he chose to sin with Bathsheba. He totally chose it. It was totally wrong He totally chose to murder someone as a result of it Obviously those things are wrong obviously those things are are against uh, what God's law is But yet God used that to bring about Solomon and Solomon in Solomon's line That's the wisdom that we we're reading about today and further. That's the line of Christ Guys, Jesus wasn't plan B. You see where this is going? All right. Last week, um, the sermon may have left you a little bit excited and stoked about what's going on in Iran, or it may have left you a little bit melancholy about what's not happening here, right? It may have left you wondering a little bit like, well, what are we doing wrong? But as Bill brought up, he said that Unless the wind is blowing, there's nothing that we can do. See, unless the Spirit is moving, there's not much that we're going to accomplish. And, and to that end, we need to look and see, well, what does, let's kind of extend that analogy just a little bit. What does a sailing ship do when it's becalmed? See, when a sailing ship is becalmed and there's no wind, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to make any repairs that are needed, Okay. And you put the ship in order for when the wind kicks up. Not if, but when. The wind will come. So that's the first thing we do. We begin looking at ourselves and our church and we say, okay, who's hurt? Who needs, who needs ministering? What's going on? And then we begin putting things in order. You also post a, wit, a watch in the high rigging, and, and that's to look out over the horizon to spot any wind that's coming. And that way you can be ready for when, when it does come. So you're always looking out, and you're seeing what does this look like. Practically, this looks like lo- looking around America. Where is the spirit moving? How is it moving? Where in the culture is it that we can begin plugging in and being ready for that? And the second or the third thing that you do when the ship has becalmed is you do training and you do drills, and you you learn and you practice and you learn new things. See, we live in a very different, uh, a very different culture. We're in a in a a very affluent, non-desperate culture. So it's not like Iran, where people are ready and and always open to this idea. We have people who are numb and people who are asleep that we need to wake up. So our strategies may look different. It may be some DBS, it may be some uh, prayer walking, but it may also be apologetics. It may also be simply inviting neighbors over for dinner and and establishing these relationships and spending that time learning to get to know somebody. In order to be able to be available for when or if the spirit moves in them and begins drawing them okay so how do we make decisions that's really you know we understand what decisions are we understand that we're responsible for them we understand that god determines the outcome but how do we actually make some of these decisions well the shorter answer is go back to week two and listen to bill's sermon see in week two, Bill talked about relying on the word and going deeper into the word and, and committing and trusting and understanding who he is. See, the proverb says, 16.3 Proverbs says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will be established. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will be established. The word commit, by the way, means to lean fully on, to put all of your weight on. So, I heard a sermon some years ago by Tim Keller, and this verse really struck out. I was struck, not struck out, struck stuck out. <laughs> I tell you what, sometimes. Uh, so this really stuck out to me, uh, and what he said was, "I bet you hear that, and you think you get it, but I bet actually many of you have it backwards. See, we think that if you commit everything you do." Uh, or or sorry, if we commit our plans to him, that we, we think that the outcomes will be successful, right? We think that if we commit our plans, Lord, here's our plan, here's our decision, please bless it, please bless the outcome. But it says the opposite of that. It says, commit everything you do, and all your ways, that's all your actions, all of the things that you're doing, And you'll become the kind of person who makes wise decisions. Commit your works to the Lord, and he'll lead you to a place where the good decision is right in front of you. Commit your steps to the Lord. Commit your ways. Commit everything that you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit means to lean wholly or place the weight on. So look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord, and lean not... On your own understanding, lean on your own understanding, right? That's committing. That's what most of us do. That's what I do so many times. Is I lean or commit onto my own understanding instead of leaning and committing onto Him. So trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. That's all of your paths, all of your steps, everything that you do. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise In your own eyes, why? Because we can't trust ourselves, and we don't have the answers. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In fact, the rest of chapter three in Proverbs gives all kinds of examples of what this looks like. How am I doing on time? Okay, all right. If the waiters come around, make sure you tip. All right. Um, So, very quickly, let's uh, let's look at. um, Actually, let's skip that part. Alright, so what do we do? How, what does this look like? What does it look like to commit our ways to him? Um, we're going we're gonna to look at Ephesians 4 very quickly. Ephesians 4 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So, do you have a decision in front of you? I bet you do. (laughs) I bet every one of you is facing some kind of decision uh, this week, and if if not, then wait till next. Um, But the bottom line is, what do we do? How do we make that decision? Well, we continue on in Ephesians 4, and you keep looking at what it tells you to do. It tells you to put off slander, put off deceit, put off all of these unrighteous things, put off all these things, and take up the new self. So, look at those things and say okay i may not be there yet in my actual practice but that's how god views me he views me as righteous because of the righteousness of christ right so i can look at that and i can say well how do i make this decision what would the new self do what would that person do and begin making those decisions and then on top of that you're going to commit your ways you have to begin to learn continue exploring things like Ephesians 4 and learning what that means to look like and begin cre- committing each way, each part of your life so that you are doing those things. You're letting the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander, all of that be put away from you along with all malice. and you'll be kind to one another, tender-hearted, loving one another, forgiving one another as Christ in God, or as God in Christ forgave you. So this means that you'll become the kind of person who realizes, like Proverbs 15.22 says, that without counsel, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. That's Proverbs 15.22. What is that saying? It's saying, trust not in yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Find yourself some wise counsel. Find people that you can surround yourself that know the Lord that are seeking after the Lord. This is what the elders do when we when we're trying to make a decision, when we're trying to look at at uh, you know whether or not we should be investing in a building or or meeting here. All of these things. When we wrestle through this stuff, it's you know we are leaning on each other. We're looking at each other and saying, okay, well, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? You know, no. But we're <laughs> we're trying to basically come through with it and, and through that process. And then at the end of the day. What do you do to be in God's will? You make a decision. You make a decision because you know that your Father in heaven, who knows how to give good gifts to you, is going to guide and direct your steps. He is going to establish your plans for you as you begin to move forward. You know, the rudder of a ship works by having current flowing over it. And it, it begins to allow pressure onto the ship that will turn the, uh, create leverage and turn the ship. But that ship has to be moving in order for that rudder to be effective. So don't be paralyzed. Step out. Step out knowing that your father is going to establish your plans. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. Because you have to commit all of your ways to him. Listen to this quote by Elizabeth Elliott. The more we pay for advice, the more we are likely to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take or leave. Advice from a consultant, which we have paid much for personally, we're more likely to accept. But it's still our choice. We can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God to asking for advice, but for God's will. And that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs everything. To ask for guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer say, if I trust you, you will give me such and such. Instead, instead we must say, I trust you. Give me, or withhold from me, whatever it is that you choose. As John Newton says, what you will, when you will, how you will we need to commit all of our ways to him. We need to commit all of our outcomes to him. We need to commit each step to him and say, Lord, I trust that you're going to give me the wisdom to make the decision that I need to make, and that I'm going to be able to have your spirit in my heart enough to listen to that. If you haven't committed to him, if you haven't leaned completely all of your weight onto him, please do so. It's a safe place. It's a lot safer than your own mind. It's a lot safer than your own heart, which is deceitful and loves the ways of deceit. Let's pray. Father God, we are a people who are often longing for the pillar of smoke and fire to be guiding us each step. But Lord, you call us to so much more. You call us not just to a God that is... uh, worthy of fear. But Lord, a God that delights in us. You call us to relationship of a father, one who we can trust in, one who we can lean, commit fully and know that the plans that you have for us are good. I pray, Lord, that our time today would not be lost on our hearts. Lord, that as we face decisions in this world, decisions this week, that are so difficult, uh, there's so much division in our, our land and in our world around us, I pray Lord that we would be focused on you, with our eyes on you, our mind on the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom of how to walk gracefully and bring peace to people. Lord, bring peace to their hearts who are in so much tumult. We praise your name. On the back of your sheets, there are some questions. I don't know if we have, what, what time we have? Okay, our time is up. <laughs> so, like cockroaches uh, scattering when you turn on the light, why are all infestations uh, like cockroaches and stuff? Couldn't they be koalas? Wouldn't that be great? It's like, anyway, um, I, I do ask that you, uh, when we're moving around inside, if you would just put on your mask for the people uh, that are concerned still. Uh, but if you're outside, feel free to take it off. Um, But thank you guys so much for coming. Look at those questions this week and look at how you can commit your ways to him. Be blessed.